0: From the Desert Fortress of Java the Hutt, Jedi. to the Death Star of the Galactic Empire, to the Forest City of the Ewoks, this is the climactic chapter in the Star Wars saga, remember the Force, rejoice in the triumph, Return of the Jedi, rated PG, now playing at a theater in your galaxy.
1: No, no, no. No, I can't open like that. Maybe I'll check that. Maybe I'll keep it in. I don't know. We'll see. But everyone, oh, welcome, come on. welcome back to another episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Uh, where this week we continue our exploration into the Star Wars franchise. And we've already made it to episode six, Return yes. of the Jedi, which is mind blowing considering we also did the anthology movies. We, this is like our eighth week here. This is crazy. Crazy stuff with me as always. Welcome, young Josh. I've been looking forward to beating. No, what, what's the emperor's line? I can't remember. This is, remember. Cr-
2: this is crazy, Stephen. This is ridiculous. Start this whole
1: show over.
2: Throw it in the trash and start over. No, I'm just kidding. Welcome,
1: young Josh. I'm looking forward to completing I've your training. Looking forward to completing your training. In time, you will call me master (laughs) jesus
2: christ this is getting real uh bdsm real quick it's kind of just calling each other master and slave anyway um you know i don't know if that's my former we're
1: in some very very uh leathery outfits as well and he just tells them what to do those are like some gimps over there guards leave us
2: (laughs) very sexual
1: very sexual (laughs) You, you saw the way he was caressing that lightsaber
2: Oh, he's low, oh, yeah! I saw the old wrinkly hand over there, man. He was really getting into it.
1: <laughs> he knew what he, he's like, much like your father's. Yeah, you know.
2: So um, and yeah. anyway, as always, I'm your also your co-host and friend, Josh Page. Yes, Stephen, we are covering Return of the Jedi. How did we make it? I don't How know, we make but it somehow
1: point? we have made probably the most wholesome of the Star Wars movies. You know, they're like literally little teddy bears into a very deranged thing already.
2: We're gonna get into all of it.
1: All right so why don't we just jump right into it because uh let's just do it. Bucket. So
2: gonna do it live.
1: Bucket will do it live. I kind of went a little crazy with the notes this week. There's not going to be really like any form to the production stuff but that's okay. As most people know the original title for this movie was not return of the jedi it was revenge of the jedi but that's really just a rumor kasdan said that he was forced to change the title to revenge well actually what's funny is the original name was return of the jedi then george lucas told no we're changing the title to revenge of the jedi because he thought return was too weak but then, like, right before the movie's coming out, like, literally, I think, like, three months before the movie comes out, George comes back and is like, nah, y- you know what? Uh, revenge is a little harsh for Revenge Jeff. is a
2: little harsh of a word. Um, and but, then it was changed.
1: Yeah. But some rumor that is going around, and I, it could or could not be true, is that um, George may have changed the title from Revenge to Return. Just to fuck over the people who sold third-party merchandise, because he would have a monopoly on all Return of the Jedi merchandise. Everyone else would have. I mean,
2: oh, wow. I mean, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put it past George, you know, with he loves his merch. Um, But speaking of merch, I don't know if this is legit, but if you Google Revenge of the Jedi and you look, there's these posters that float around. I don't know if they're if someone made them after the fact. These
1: uh, yeah, these uh, red ones. uh, there's a movie theater on Long Island um, in Farmingdale that had that poster.
2: Oh, so it's legit. It's a legit poster.
1: It's like, yeah, that was the poster that came out for the movie uh, in 1982 or 1983. <inaudible> I don't. The movie. So what I mean is, it's not something that, that was, it was like that a poster
2: fan-based poster.
1: No, George had the the title changed back to Return of the Jedi, like literally months before the movie came out. So that poster was out and about. (laughs) Um, Once again, George Lucas decided not to direct this movie. So he went for some, you know, last time we talked about how he went for his old professor or more seasoned director. This time he went more for the young crowd. Um, he approached people like David Cronenberg who basically hung up the phone saying like I'm not interested <laughs> David Lynch who went on a pitch meeting lunch with George Lucas uh, and during that lunch he got up in the middle called his agent and said yeah this is not going to work out I'm not doing oh, this. man, literally such a shame. During, the, during the lunch he did that um, but instead he directed dune which came out the exact same year which is pretty crazy yeah Uh, he also approached his good buddy steven spielberg but and he was like ready to do it but then the dga interceded the dga the directors guild of america prohibited any one of its members from being a director on this movie because they got into a lawsuit with George Lucas and Lucasfilm over the rights of the credits. Apparently, they did not like the fact that the movie just showed 20th Century Fox and then cut right into it. There's no opening credits in these movies. And the DGA was like, you know what? We don't like it. <laughs> we don't like it. We don't like it. Um, so directing ultimately went to Richard Marcon... Mar- Markand, Markans, whatever. I don't know. How do you pronounce it?
2: Slippies, Slippies, Swanson, Swanson, Samsonite. How do you pronounce um, it? Richard it was, Markand. Yeah. Sure. You know we, you know where we, were experts at butchering people's
1: names. Yeah, that's our <laughs> signature. I mean, we learned from the whole Bong Joon Ho show. Come on now. Uh, he took over, and he wasn't really like a very experienced director and rumor is that George kind of ghost directed this movie kind of like Spielberg ghost directed directed Poltergeist. Uh, Poltergeist. Yeah, that and would make a lot of sense. Year. That or, would make a lot of sense. Before. This was a crazy
2: time for movies.
1: Yeah, this was a crazy time for movies. So uh, let's just break down some more fun stuff about this. Yes. In this movie, we are introduced to Emperor Palpatine but Palpatine's name is not utter... Well, first, let's talk about the name. The name Palpatine actually derives from the character Palantine in Taxi Driver, the guy running for office in Taxi Driver. That He tweaked the name a little bit, obviously, because he didn't want to get right. into lawsuits or anything. The name Palpatine is not mentioned once in the entire movie. The only way you knew his name was from the merchandise that was being sold which is how people who watch the original trilogy and then watch the the prequels don't realize that Palpatine is the Emperor, I assume. I mean, to me, there's still no excuse.
2: Well, I don't know how many notes you have on the Emperor, but um, No, apparently when they cast in McDiarmid, um, they originally cast him only as the physical performance. It's very similar to David Prowse as Darth Vader and they were basically just going to have him have someone dub over his lines i guess it was um clive revel who did the voice in empire strikes back and i don't know if they maybe they later dubbed ian McDiarmid. but anyway when they were filming this they only wanted him to be the stand in but then when he mimicked the voice that they had from from empire they were so impressed that they just let him you know run with the kind of the character the way that he did and that became his signature trait throughout you know the rest of the franchise.
1: Worked pretty well. Uh apparently Ian McDermott's first encounter with George Lucas was after one of his plays, because let's not just think, you know, Ian McDermott is a big Shakespearean actor in the UK. Yeah. And their first encounter was George telling Ian how much he enjoyed his performance. And before he left the room, he said nice nose or something along those lines yeah, yeah. Like, i like your nose <laughs> <laughs> i guess he had the nose of an emperor ewoks uh originally george lucas wanted to have wookies instead of the ewoks but he realized through Chewie that the species was too advanced like he wanted to keep them primitive so he nixed that and, tru- and shrunk the Wookies down <laughs> into, he- Wookie, into a little Ewok, Ewok.
2: Um, uh, and, and obviously he saved his plans for Wookies for uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith when he did. We went to the whole, uh, yeah, the whole planet, you know.
1: <laughs> the uh, Ewoks are actually an allegory for v- the Vietnamese, which is I don't know either traitorous, sweet, or. Um, a racist i can't tell you know <laughs> the voice for the ewoks actually derives from tagalog uh someone from lucasfilm was actually sent to mongolia and they sat with this older woman and just recorded her as she babbled in <laughs> her <laughs> native language so that's that's how they got the sounds for the Ewoks. It's actually a real person speaking, that's like really funny. a deranged form of, <laughs> of a real language.
2: Of course it is. Um, I don't know how many notes you have about the the Ewoks, but notably Warwick Davis, because yeah. I guess he was the main Sandin for. I don't know if he was multiple Ewoks or if he was just. I don't know. Then forgive me, I don't remember the names of the main. No, he's but, just wicked. But apparently, apparently Car- Carrie Fisher really cared about. Uh, Warwick Davis's well-being during the filming as he had to spend most of the days most she was in a a hot Ewok costume so she would she would provide him with cookies and chocolate milk between takes which Davis uh, later commented she was everything an, an 11 year old Ewok could possibly wish for so
1: yeah and he got the role because he was such a big Star Wars fan and like I think wrote letters to George Lucas and George Lucas like wrote back and uh, the rest is history. That's... After this after this movie, Warwick Davis is in every single Star yeah. Wars movie. Yeah. So he was in all the prequels. He was in all the sequels and the anthology movies. I just really? didn't point them out because we didn't get to him yet. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, in no, that's Phantom cool. Menace, he's sitting in the stands of the uh, pod racing. In Rise of Skywalker, he's obviously reprises his role as Wicked. You know, he he's in all of them i think he's in canto bite in episode eight i don't remember anyway cool yeah uh like palpatine the word ewok is never spoken in the entire movie again you had to go through um merchandise to know what their names were
2: that's really funny
1: the name endor actually comes from the bible and it is also an elvish word used in lord of the rings which is pretty crazy all the lightsabers in this movie were repurposed because they couldn't find, somehow they had lost all their lightsabers. So Luke's was Obi-Wan's original lightsaber. They just repainted it and like sanded it down. Uh, And Darth Vader's was Luke's lightsaber from Empire that they painted because this is the first time we really see, other than uh, the original one, vader doing but well like never mind anyway no i take that no back.
2: that's good that's good that's good trivia uh
1: so there's no easy way to talk about this uh don't say it we, we're gonna talk about carrie fisher and oh okay her bikini bottom oh i was not
2: uh, oh i didn't think we we're gonna touch on that
1: <laughs> so, i don't know what you thought you i was gonna say
2: um i thought you're gonna go into the whole because you can't not talk about it is that more than any other star wars movie that this is the most touched up on with the cgi and the uh
1: oh I, we're gonna talk about that as we go through <laughs> the movie because again they mention like we'll, we'll we'll talk about it as we go through the movie i wanted to talk about carrie fisher and how she was basically tortured on set <laughs> and by her produce let by the producers to make sure she stayed as fit as she needed to be to be in that bikini. Right. She lost a lot of weight. She had to uh-huh. keep a lot of weight off. Her producers like kept calling her fat. Like things were just like not okay on set so she could fit into that bikini. Like and then it's very demeaning overall that she had to become a sex worker for job of the hut. Uh on top of that there's also some other misogynistic issues um you know a rebel woman pilot was originally supposed to be in this movie but got cut out like so now they're because apparently no one would believe that a woman could pilot which is ridiculous to me and on top of that like i don't again like maybe this is one step in a good direction but this is the first time in any Star Wars movie, you know, of the three originals, but this is the first time we have two women with the speaking part. It took two movies to get here.
2: So. Yeah, um, I think ultimately this is what led, and we can talk more about this, um, I guess next week, um, to talk more about what led to more uh, female-centric, a female-centric Star Wars, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean like society, especially in, in film, well, film is just one of the many ways of society, uh, making, being, pro- becoming progressive. We're finally coming out of our, you know, uh, our, 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 our whole, um, whatever, our whole entity of straight white males, you know, dominating, uh, yeah. everything. And so, I mean, we've only kind of, we're just, it's crazy. That's only starting to really only happen like, or, as of these last however many years, but um. yeah 1983 we were still kind of <laughs> in a <laughs> stuck in a previous era
1: yeah Harrison Ford famously did not want to come back for this movie uh, <laughs> he thought that it would undercut Han's sacrifice but more realistically he just didn't want to come back um, well
2: yeah I mean notoriously he was known for when they froze him in carbonite that he thought that that should have been his character yeah exactly
1: he thought let han have his heroic end and and like i'm saying you know that may be the case but it's also kind of not a secret that he never really cared about han solo so like he may just right. not have wanted to come back sure lawrence kasdan actually agreed thinking that han should not have survived the dethawing process from the the thawing process of the carbonite he thought that it would be a great way to set up that no one was safe in this movie. But George Lucas clearly wanted like a happy, cheery ending all around. So he was I like- think this no. was
2: the, I think this was like not being able to take bold enough risks with their characters, I guess in terms of playing it safe because they're afraid audiences would get upset or they're afraid they wouldn't be able to solve more merchandise. Dyson Sam becomes more of a studio thing or like a uh, like kind of a safety thing. I mean, you see it a lot and you see it a lot in TV shows. Characters die. You see it a lot in Marvel. Characters die, but then they don't no, really no, die. Don't. You know, no death really sticks. And like, you know, a lot of things don't matter. So it's kind of.
1: I mean, we haven't gotten to the most egregious one of those, which is the Rise of Skywalker. We're but gonna... we'll, we'll get to that later. Um,
2: we're going to save that.
1: We'll, we'll save the fake death problem. Go
2: but anyway, but yes, uh, you know, Harrison Ford, you know, he's, he's.
1: Let's have this conversation now before we like get into the plot. Do you think that Han should have come back? Harrison
2: Ford always makes things better. I guess that's the way I see it.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's true. That's true. Speaking of darker Luke, uh, Mark Hamill also thought that the movie should have gone darker. Um, and loved the original ending of the script um uh, this is still just like a rumor we don't know this for a fact but the rumor was that luke kills vader and then puts on his helmet saying i am vader now my god (laughs) that's how they uh, that's how it was originally supposed to end but then again george lucas was like no we we need light and happy although maybe not given the way that people feel about luke's character in episode
2: eight um (laughs) I kind of well, I would say the way we talked about Luke last week when we talked about Empire and how basically all the decisions, the filmmaking decisions and all the plot developments that happen in that movie kind of open up a door. They open up many doors to like the positive things about the sequel trilogy, which for as we've we've hinted almost every week that for you and me really boils down to the last Jedi because there's a lot of great stuff. And I think that in having I don't know how to say this because this is. Uh, I always tease. We always tease final discussion a little early, but I think, in the sense that all the failures—not that there's many—but all the failures of Return of the Jedi, light or happy or whatever, kind of are, make for a great setup for me. Make great setup for everything dark and middle-grounded and gray area as they are in the Last Jedi. I think that I don't know. I think they're very complementary, and obviously we'll get there in a couple weeks, but
1: well, I don't mean to jump to final thoughts either but that's the faulty of youth you know something you do when you're young seems right in the moment it's not until you can look back years later and go wait who did i fuck over to get what i got who did i like what what did i have to do what did i have to sacrifice was it worth it right you can't look at that in the moment but in hindsight it's easy um Anyway, let's just talk about two more things. Uh, Jabba the Hutt. Jabba, obviously, for this movie, is a puppet. It is a. It was a full. Uh, took. S- yeah, go on.
2: Took six people to work the full-sized animatronic yep. of the Jabba the Hutt puppet.
1: Three people um, were required inside, <laughs> just inside the suit. One for each arm, and then one to wiggle the tail. Uh, then someone is controlling the eyes. Someone is controlling the mouth. It's like ridiculous.
2: I want to take this time quickly to cut, talk about in contrast to what we discussed uh, a couple weeks ago with the new hope about the tacked on CGI job of the hut scene and the contrast of puppet job. I don't want to harp on that because we already talked about it, but just seeing a real puppet in action. And this is part of, you know, the what made Jim Henson, you know, and his whole, and Jim Henson's whole thesis about, you know, you know, puppetry being what it is, bringing creatures to life is so effective with Jabba the Hutt because in just Return of the Jedi alone, he's more convincing because he's authentic and seeing the gross tongue and the blinking eyes, like it just, there's no, there's, there's no, like, it's such a big argument. It's such a big, um, like, um, defense for puppetry because, just the job of puppet alone is so it's just it just works so well, and it's something that can never be replicated by CGI, no matter how good you're. You know, and I uh, think Lucasfilm
1: caught on to that from the backlash, uh, specifically in the newer movies. Say what you will about the Disney movies, they went back and used prosthetics, they used puppetry. They're like Absolutely. deep into that, and it works a lot. Absolutely, some of the CGI characters that we get. Mm -hmm. Uh, the puppet, though, for Java is gone. It's just like it must have been destroyed after filming was done. All that's left are the eyeballs, which are hanging in a museum in Germany, which is crazy. That's that's all that's left.
2: it's pretty i guess it's a pretty fitting end for java you know
1: yeah it got a couple oscar nominations for best score best art direction best sound effect editing best sound and it won a special achievement award but it didn't win anything so those are all my notes
2: um let me see if i got anything else good um a pretty funny note: the emperor's chair was mechanized so that it could rotate whenever the scene called for it. Um, however, uh, the mechanism in the chair never worked properly, so Ian McDermott had to make make the chair move by shuffling his feet. There'd be a t- piece of tape on the floor for him to stop. Obviously, it, you know you can't tell in the movie, but I love the idea of like a comedy, uh, like a comedy version of just a wider shot. It's like it's like you know uh, I've been waiting for you, Skywalker, and you just see these tiny little feet just shuffling his chair over (laughs) um no okay yeah i got i I got nothing else
1: cool then you ready to get into the movie
2: i am ready freddy Luke Skywalker has returned to his home planet of Tatooine in an attempt to rescue his friend Han Solo from the clutches of the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. Little does Luke know that the Galactic Empire has secretly begun construction on a new armored space station even more powerful than the first dreaded Death Star. When completed this ultimate weapon will spell certain doom for the small band of rebels struggling to restore freedom to the galaxy, which I'm not I don't want to harp on just every moment but it's like even right then it's like Really, this this new dreaded weapon? Just another Death Star. I mean, this it,
1: whole thing about the uh... it's literally called a Death Star. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's not as egregious here as it is when we'll. I mean, we'll get to it next week, but you know, but when you get to Star Killer Base, it's kind of like okay. The, Aren't we done with this? And then by the time weapon?
2: and then by the time you get to the fleet of ships that destroy planets, you're like,
1: really? Oh man Come I, on We'll worry about that when we get I, to that. That's am, like
2: I'm sorry but yeah we'll
1: uh... <laughs> <laughs> Darth Vader, David Prowess, James Earl Jones arrives on the second Death Star. Sternly he tells the commander that the construction needs to be hastened. To ensure it happens, the emperor himself will be coming. Scared, the commander agrees to double his efforts. As a reminder to the audience who the true villain is, Vader follows up by saying, I hope so, commander, for your sake. The Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. Which is pretty, like, fucked up, you know? Like, you just spent all of Empire watching how evil Darth Vader is, and now you're being told, no, no, there's someone less forgiving than me. (laughs) Uh, he also has like the best opening ever Darth Vader in this movie like I wish that I could just like if someone tries to talk to me I could be like you may dispense with your pleasantries (laughs) I'm here to put you back on schedule
2: I love it such a man. such a boss
1: Uh, C3PO Anthony Daniels and R2D2 Kenny Baker are given an audience with Jabba the Hutt Larry Ward That's the voice actor. Uh, R2 plays a hologram from Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill. Luke would like to bargain with Jabba about a release of Han Solo. As a token of goodwill, Luke gifts Jabba with his droids. What? What did he say? (laughs) You're playing the wrong message. Um... Laughter oh. erupts in the room. Jabba does not want to part with his favorite wall feature. Han Solo, Harrison Ford, and Carbonite. Uh, Bosh, a bounty hunter, comes into Jabba's throne with Chewbacca, Peter Mayhew, as a prisoner. As night falls, Jabba's court sleeps, which is very strange. They're all just like sleeping in like a dance floor. It's like, very...
2: Uh, it's doesn't very... anyone
1: have a bedroom?
2: It's very bizarre. I like to imagine they filmed their scenes and like all of the, the dancing and whatever, and then and then George is like steps in. He's like, "All right, th- now we're gonna film the characters going to sleep. Everyone, if you could just lay down in your spots, we're gonna dim the lights."
1: <laughs> Troy and a bit off to dreamland. <laughs> um, where was I? As night falls, Jabba's court falls asleep. Bosch sneaks over and frees Han Solo from his slumber. Scared and blind, Han wants to know what is going on. The bounty hunter removes the mask to reveal Leia Organa, Carrie Fisher. Jabba's booming laugh fills the room. Han is taken to prison where he is reunited with Chewie. Leia is taken as Jabba's new concubine.
2: Which, rough stuff.
1: Yeah, Disney no longer sells any products with Leia in that bikini. They even, they've <laughs> renounced it. They're like, this is too demeaning. <laughs> It it is, you know, I'm trying to think of how to say this. Leia's character in this movie is just off to me throughout the entire time. She just doesn't seem like Leia at all. The entire
2: um, it feels like they wrote. I mean, like you were saying about them with a woman pilot or the whatever what they had originally had planned. It's it almost seemed like they wrote this character for someone else.
1: It just feels like they muted her she has become a reaction character not a like everything is she's doing is for the plot or it's happening to her like luke has to tell her you're my sister or she frees han because like it moves the plot along there's no like
2: she's an exposition character but because she's been so crucial this whole time she's it's better to have someone that recognizable i guess
1: and she not only is she a follower, but she's just become very muted. She doesn't say a lot in this movie; like she's very quiet. I
2: um, know. I have notes about her later, but we'll we'll, we'll get, get to there. It. Yeah. Um,
1: in a black cloak, Luke Skywalker enters Jabba's palace without remorse. He force chokes the Gamorrean guards and mind tricks Bib Fortuna, which tough tough opening act for my guy Luke here. That's like i don't give a fuck like he's in full black he's choking people out how much different with his new metal hand like how much different is he from his father really
2: i uh i like it i think it's a good uh yeah rough rough stuff for uh someone who's trying to stick to the light side but this will obviously get there when we come to it
1: yeah um again jabba says that there will be no bargain uh, there will be no bargain, and drops Luke into the Rancor pit. Luke kills the Rancor by crushing it with a heavy gate. As retribution, Jabba orders Luke, Han, and Chewie executed by Sarlacc. Which, one of my favorite bits in all of Star Wars is just the fact that there's a Rancor uh, like owner, and he's oh, crying over his dead pet.
2: I, um... I I, I I know we always tease final discussion but it's like really I do love the balance maybe it's a little too lighthearted at times but I do love the balance of humor and you know really good fun entertaining scenes like it's really more so than we've ever seen um and I'll get there after but I mean it's like it's so ridiculous but like it's uh, I guess it's designed to make you laugh it's designed to be like kind of comical and that's something that we've at this point, I'd never really seen quite like this. It both works sometimes and then sometimes it doesn't, but I do love it. I love the owner.
1: I love it. He's just sobbing as he walks away. Yes, yeah, funny. <laughs> I love uh, the
2: face when he enters the room and he's devastated.
1: <laughs> devastated. On a diving board over the pit, Luke again implores Jabba to bargain. This is your last chance, Jabba. Free us or die. Womp. Well, Bump,
2: the head nod. Bump,
1: Womp. 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 Everyone's just nodding. Bump. Oh man. The booming laugh comes again as Jabba orders Luke into the pit. In quick succession, R2 gives Luke his green lightsaber. Lando Calrissian, Billy D. Williams, disguised as Jabba's guard, joins the fight but falls. Han and Chewie save him while inadvertently knocking Bulba into the pit.
2: So disrespectful. So disrespectful. <laughs>
1: leia meanwhile kills jabba the he- choking him out love nice it. uh the heroes blow up jabba's yacht and are on their way the millennium falcon flies to the rebel fleet luke is keeping his promise and going to dagobah which do you think he went to dagobah in between episode five and six
2: I guess he had to have. I don't know if you have canon corner notes about that, but I've no, always- there's
1: won- no mention, like there's no canon official mention that he went back to Dig, but yet. But do you know,
2: but do you have canon information about what happened, but where did Luke go between Empire and Return of the Jedi? Because he becomes a completely, he almost becomes a completely different character. Like he's the same character, but he's got so much more confidence and determination and skills. So where was he like learning it all? Where was he training? And yeah. that's stuff I've never known.
1: But I also feel like Yoda's not gonna teach him how to force joke people. That's just not uh, it makes Yoda's me wonder family. where
2: he went, you know. That's why I'd love to see what are uh, he's like, doing.
1: The... I never know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> on
2: uh, on the hangar of the Death Star, countless stormtroopers are in line. Vader waits at the foot of the, the Imperial shuttle. The Emperor. Ian McDermott has arrived. Vader assures his master that the Death Star will be complete on schedule. Sensing Vader's impatience, assures him.
0: Patience, my friend.
2: In time,
0: he will see you out. And when he does, you must bring him before me. He has grown strong. Only together can we turn him to the dark.
1: cackle 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 Cackle.
2: the last few years have taken their toll on yoda to say the least
1: it's been uh, like three years and it looks like he's aged like 30
2: he has aged but reminds luke when 900 years old you reach look as good you will not i love it i love the sense of humor that yoda has and i do love i sent i for the folks at home i i sent uh steve a meme recently it was um it's like um when you it's, it's like when you become a parent then will you understand only then will you understand why Luke <laughs> why Yoda just listened to Luke complain and then and then just died.
1: <laughs> yeah. But let's not be too kind on of Yoda here. The amount of times he the amount of stuff he felt he needed to tell Luke, and that wasn't even all of it. Luke, when gone am I? The last of the Jedi, will you be? Luke, you have a sister. Luke, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I'm still gonna die.
2: <laughs> the Grandmaster hobbles to his bed and bequeaths Luke with the task of training new Jedi, um, which is a little doorway to, you know, what Luke tries to do well, later do on. But
1: not. there is no try. There is no try. Um, Thank you. you he also
2: he also confirms that Vader is in fact his Luke's father. In order for Luke to become a true Jedi master, he must confront confront his father. In his last moments Yoda also reveals there is another there is another Skywalker. Yoda performs his greatest lesson to Luke by peacefully
1: transcending into the Force. This we we need to harp on this for a second though.
2: Okay.
1: Like this is something that has like I heard a theory about this and it is like just so brilliant to me. It's not like a deep theory but like something that scared Anakin and what ultimately led him to the dark side was his fear of death, his inability to let things go. What Yoda is doing right now is showing Luke, like, you have nothing to fear from death. He's showing him how a Jedi can just transcend into the Force. That's how it goes. Death is not scary. Death is just- It's scary. a natural part of life. It's an Exactly. So he, he's doing what maybe he should- I mean, I'm not saying he should have died in front of Anakin, but if he had, I, I don't know.
2: The- well, the whole point is this is about second chances. If you look at this, if you look at Star Wars as a franchise, not just as a trilogy, tra- going from Yoda's journey and Anakin's journey to this point, Yoda's, I guess, in, to your point, it's it, it, this is a second chance. He couldn't. Exactly. He feel like he failed with Anakin, and so this is his chance to say, like, I could teach you everything, but like. To die and to not be afraid of death—it's just like it's—it's it's the final—it's the final lesson. It's the—it's the last thing I can teach you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it, this only comes because of what happened prior. Right. You know, uh, he's not when Anakin is about to turn. They're deep in war, and Palpatine is not necessarily wrong when he said that the Jedi are holding strong on their power right now. Oh, of course. They're in war
2: i mean that's so, the whole crux of the the light versus dark side and but so anyway y- but-
1: the perception of death during the clone wars versus yoda's perception of death now has changed as well right. he can transcend into the force now because he found his peace and purpose and what is he really losing by letting go he lost all his power and in- and influence he's he's just a hermit on a death all the other world.
2: jedi have died he's got no one else around you know what i mean he's trained luke and passed on his teachings it's yeah. it's sad but it's poignant you know what i mean it's like keeping keeping yoda alive is logically wouldn't make sense for the character like not saying that they had to kill him off like they could have just not shown him again but this is a poignant scene this is a very purposeful moment in luke's journey because luke needs to understand that what anakin didn't in terms of what you're saying is that death is the you know it, yeah. the next the next way, great adventure is this is what
1: gives luke his strength later on mm-hmm. when ultimately he throws his weapon away and is like no i would rather die than turn yeah because he has seen that death is not not i mean obviously death is not nothing but death is just one it's a, it's a new start into a larger beginning
2: right because he because yeah. he has a reaction you know yoda, yoda dies and he's he's genuinely like surprised he's taken aback but it's also like he need he needed he almost needed to see that so it's yeah.
1: so that i that's why i just wanted to harp on that for. A no bit. it's
2: good it's a it's a huge moment um beguiled luke leaves yoda's hut to balance the young jedi's mind the force ghost of ben kenobi alec guinness uh <laughs> metastasizes uh clearing the air ben explains what he told luke all those years ago on to Tatto- was true from a certain point of view <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> i'm picturing them in the writer's room and george is like listen this is what i meant all along and they're like george the audience will catch on like i said like i would imagine like a, an from office, a certain point of view an, an office style show about um walt disney about the early stages would be a great sh- show there could be an Another great show, you know, with George Lucas, as we said, and this would be this would be the, the name of the episode from a certain point of view, and it's just him pitching this whole idea, and then the, well, everyone's in the writers' room is like, George, we 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 gotta do better than this. He's like, No, no, it's all been a certain point of view. <laughs>
1: no, no, this is good. This is no, good. no,
2: we got this. Uh, Luke ex- expresses his trepidation about confronting Vader. The conversation switches to the other Skywalker. Luke correctly guesses it is Leia. So. You just had these guys making out, and now all of a sudden they're related. Come on, George, what are you really doing? Quiet, right. that's my plan all along.
1: Oh, you mean the only other woman in the galaxy?
2: <laughs> She's the only woman in the galaxy. She has to be Luke's sister.
1: Why is my sister?
2: Ben warns ben, ben Luke to bury your feelings deep down, Luke. They do you credit, but they could be made to serve the Emperor. Now, the Rebel.
1: I, I want to go back to the prequels here for a minute, because this conversation right sure shows how little obi-wan has learned because he's going back to the old jedi mantra bury your feelings your feelings have no place here but that is the antithesis of the jedi mantra because a jedi is supposed to feel they're supposed to use their empathy and their love instead ben is telling him bury that like don't use what makes you strongest
2: but that's also kind of how obi-wan's always been he's always been very um like um political in that way he's a little like qui-gon qui-gon was obviously well no, qui-gon, Qui-Gon had, was the opposite qui-gon was balanced qui-gon i'm sorry qui-gon was like a buddha he was very balanced but obi-wan even in the prequels was always very he acted as an officer like as an official like he always acted in a very like on an agenda not on you know what i mean he was always very straight i'm not forward. saying it's
1: out of character you're I just
2: understand. saying it's contrast to, to Yoda. I'm just
1: saying, it's, it's not even just a contrast to Yoda. It's just me saying, after all this time, after transcending life, you still cannot see why you failed. Right. Why you failed all those years ago. You Cause... are putting all your eggs in Luke the way you put all your eggs in Anakin. You thought Anakin was the chosen one. Now you think Luke is the chosen one. And you're putting your repressed feelings onto them onto him like you did your old padawan it's like you need to you need to tweak a couple things my guy
2: even after death he's still still drinking the kool-aid
1: yeah (laughs) after all that time on tatooine you have learned very little my friend it's
2: it's really well and maybe the maybe the kenobi series will clear that up a little bit who knows maybe coming soon not that we're promoting anything but i have no idea when it's coming out um
1: probably next year
2: the uh, the rebel fleet has amassed. Mon Motha, Car- I don't say Carol Baskin.
0: Carol Baskin, <laughs> Car-
2: Caroline Bl- Blackiston, and Admiral Akbar Eric ba- Bowserfeld go over their new plans. The second Death Star is incomplete and houses the Emperor himself. Um, which I uh I want to make a quick note because I. have always think it's funny i don't know if you how familiar you are with uh, kevin smith's clerks we have a there's an entire conversation piece that randall and dante have about how many innocent people were actually killed in the second death star because they had to build it twice as fast and so they talk about like how they must have hired like electricians and plumbers and people like to build it anyway but
1: it's not just that uh, i was gonna bring it up later but there was actually an article written about the damage that would have been caused to Endor <laughs> had a death star blown up in that range. It would have literally caused a nuclear apocalypse on Endor <laughs> in
2: reality. I I love it because like again I just I'm picturing someone pitching that to George and be like, "No, no, no. It blows up the same way as in the new hope and that's it, all right? It blows up and everything's fine." It's like, "George, this literally it's so close. You can see it from Endor. It's so it's close. Literally
1: within Endor's um what's it called uh, uh orbit or yeah it's literally within endor's <laughs> orbit anything that breaks off of that death star crashes onto endor so you blew that shit up it literally <laughs> would have caused the nuclear annihilation of the entire planet if it had, bl- had really blown i but picture when uh than- neither here nor I mean, there
2: i picture when thanos uh you know Takes the the, moon. He takes, Yeah, he takes the moon and he throws it down. That's what they picture with. It. It's just a little bit of what happened. Um, um, <laughs> not wanting to waste this opportunity, General Calrizian will lead an assault on the Death Star. General Solo will lead a ground assault to take down the shield around it. Sounding a little familiar, but Leia Chewie and Luke volunteer to join Han to ensure Lando can do the run. Han gives him the Falcon. Big big moment
1: it is a big moment actually
2: it is is. i'm not i only mean it i only sound sarcastic but it's a good it's a good moment um han and his team are on shuttle tiderium look at me i can read things an old imperial transport he calls in a landing request for the moon of endor tensions rise as vader and luke sense one another's presence panicking han tells chewie to quote unquote fly casual they are given they are given the clearance but vader knows it is a rebel ship telling his master such the emperor is aware but was not attuned to luke's of involvement once again the emperor gauges vader's emotional state before sending him to endor
1: this conversation out of context is always kind of funny to me because he's Uh like i have felt my son strange i have not (laughs) like (laughs) like uh like out of context some of the verbiage is like a little weird
2: i love i love the idea of
1: touching things here i
2: love the idea of star wars quotes out of context like just hearing the quotes and like having like a montage like snipped together of all misconstrued dialogue
1: yeah oof, it'd be rough
2: that's a big oof
1: it doesn't take long for the rebels to encounter stormtroopers This starts a wild speeder chase through the forest, led by Luke and Leia. Luke may... uh, I just want to go back to this speeder chase for a second, talk about how they did it. Uh, That was done in the Redwood Forest uh, up in San Francisco. Actually near where Lucasfilm was. In order to do it, because you're going by, like it looks like you're zooming by really, really quick. They shot very slowly, actually. They shot it while on a track, walking through the forest uh, at four frames per second, slowed down, and when you speed it up, it's like it goes really, really quickly. It's like it's cool.
2: <laughs> it's it's definitely a callback to mm-hmm. uh, THX. I feel, or at least THX was the predecessor to a speeder chase like this. We talked about it, like in just terms of like the zipping by, just real quick, like the just it's it's yeah. it really works.
1: Uh, Luke makes it back to Han, but Leia encounters Wicked, Warwick Davis. She gains the Ewoks' trust by giving him food and fighting stormtroopers together. I mean, what gains more trust than that? (laughs) While searching for Leia, Chewie sets off an Ewok trap because he wants the dangling, disgusting meat, which is gross. Uh, The Ewoks surround them with spears. Their attention immediately switches to C-3PO, whom they believe to be a deity. After 3PO is levitated, the Ewoks set the Rebels free. They find Leia in Bright Tree Village as well. With her hair all braided and a new outfit ready to go, they move quickly. At night, C-3PO is telling the story of Star Wars to the Ewoks, which I always love. That's like one of my favorite
2: it's such a good it's such a good scene cuz it's like comical and it's like he's it's like he's talking to children but he's reiterating stuff we everyone knows so it's great because the audience the Ewoks are reacting the way that like a child would to when watching that's what i imagine like it's conveyed very well
1: it's just one of those like uh false uh pride moments where like he's telling the story in obviously a made up language yeah but he's doing like these sound effects and these um like, interjections of, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And you're yeah, like, yeah. oh, I know what he's talking about. <laughs>
2: yeah, I love it so much. Uh,
1: afterward, Cheap Chirpa proclaims the rebels to be part of the tribe. Luke leaves the room, and Leia follows. The burden of truth flows out of Luke. Leia is disgusted with the revelation that Vader is Luke's father. Well, you just wait, sweetheart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: It's about to get a lot it's about better. to get real rough. Um, <laughs> but
1: Luke senses something in Vader that no one else can. Good. The revelations keep coming when Luke says, the force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it. My sister has it. Subconsciously, Leia always knew Luke was her brother. So then, why'd, why'd you kiss him? Uh, I don't know. Some Game of Thrones stuff here. She watches her brother walk into the darkness to his destiny. Han comes out and holds Leia, which yeah, I, Han's kind of overreacting in this one. Oh, I you could do, tell Luke. Luke, you could tell. I
2: do love. I don't know if it's that moment right here. No, it is, or if it's a little later when he says, um, "He says you love him." <laughs> she says, "Yeah." That's later. I love. I, I I enjoy that moment. But we'll when we get to um,
1: that's after I'll, the battle.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going.
1: Uh, at the Imperial base on Endor, Luke is brought to Vader. To bring the good out of his father, Luke uses his the name Anakin Skywalker. This infuriates Vader, who shouts, that name no longer has any meaning. Changing the subject, Vader ignites Luke's lightsaber and is impressed. Again, Luke says he feels the conflict in his father, but Vader, feeling it is too late to turn back to the light, will bring his son to the Emperor. I just want to make a note that the blocking of that scene to me is always like kind of comical because it's just so over-the-top Shakespeare. Like Luke is standing looking like toward camera and Vader's like behind him just like... Oh, yeah. It's just a very Shakespearean way of blocking things.
2: It's it's so good. Um, The day has come. Han and his rebels are outside the back door of the Imperial base. As a distraction, Wicket steals a speeder bike. (laughs) (laughs) The Rebels make it to the base but are quickly expelled by incoming stormtroopers. Wicket runs away to get support. The Rebel fleet jumps to light speed. On the Death Star, Luke is brought before the Emperor. They verbally spar. Luke saying, your your overconfidence is your weakness. The Emperor quickly rebuffs. Your faith in your friend is yours. But the Emperor pushes Luke towards the darkness by showing his upper hand.
0: has done so according to my design. Your friends up there on the sanctuary moon are walking into a trap, as is your rebel fleet. It was I who allowed the Alliance to know the location of the shield generator. It is quite safe from your pitiful little band. An entire legion of my best troops awaits them Oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational when your friends
1: arrive. I'm afraid the oh. deflector shield. <laughs> this is a... I, I know I said it during the prequels, but Ian McDermott is just like hamming it up and loving it. I, I love he's, it so much.
2: He, he chews up every scene he's in.
1: He's so good, and he's... Only like in his 30s in this movie, which.
2: Good on him. Or,
1: yeah, George Lucas really. It really worked sort of out that, that they could him make
2: better. him, right, that way they made him look like an old man, and then they were able to use him, you know, uh, uh, more than a decade later, you know. And, and then just, another
1: decade later after yeah,
2: that? Yeah, oh, well. When the Rebel fleet arrives, <laughs> they can't get a reading. <laughs> My <laughs> granddaughter. <laughs> Oh When The rebel fleet arrives. They can't can't believe that fleet arrives. They can't get a reading on the shield. Their signals are being jammed. The imperial fleet sneaks up behind the rebels. Realizing what has happened, Akbar pro- famously proclaims, "It's a trap." Which in originally in the script it was originally in the script it was it's a trick. Yeah. And I don't know if whoever if whoever's playing Akbar changed it and, or if they changed it last minute, but as now famously the only line the only real line he has um anyway luke watches this massacre from the window the emperor pushes luke to take his lightsaber while luke tries to hide it his anger is boiling over the emperor goading with each moment you make yourself more my servant you like your father are now mine
1: which is some pretty crazy really, that's like some terrifying really, stuff
2: really rough stuff rough um stuff. The battle on Endor picks up as the Ewoks join the fold, attacking the Empire effectively with their primitive weapons. This is this scene. Oh, this these this bit always kind of cracks me up to see the chaos of the the logs, you know, Smashing slamming together, the walker, and the and the rocks throwing. Like it's like I get it. Like they're showing the Ewoks can defend themselves, but it's always just crazy to me. They're flying it's on the. It's not only
1: comical, but it's guys, also kind of like. How long have you been preparing for this <laughs> these things are just say, so perfectly like in place
2: oh my how long have you been planning on getting attacked how many how many uh predators do they have on this planet i mean it's just i don't know
1: it's I, just really I fun it's know.
2: oddly specifically set up for droids and, sh- and, and shit anyway um attacking the empire effectively with their primitive weapons the blaster doors are put Up on the Imperial base, R2 is called over. The Rebel fleet is taking heat, but is at a complete disadvantage when the Emperor orders the fully operational Death Star Star to fire. Akbar wants to flee, but Lando insists on giving Han more time. They fly into the cluster of Star Destroyers to avoid the Death Star's fire. R2 at the the controls malfunctions and combusts. Han must hotwire the door open.
1: Yeah, crazy stuff all around.
2: It's a lot going on
1: it is and but that's uh one of the brilliant things about this movie like the last battle the intercutting is like so immaculate it is the
2: pacing is really spot on despite it being like a second death star and feeling like we're repeating history the way they jump between scenes is actually you brought you've brought up editing for star wars in the past and this is just more proof that it it works you know the
1: intercutting is just brilliantly done. Like, Mm -hmm. you're on edge with every sequence. I mean, I tend to care more about the Luke Vader scene. Oh, of course. You know, you can't deny that that's one of the best space battles that has ever been put on film.
2: They build the climax extremely well, it they did in Phantom Menace. Obviously, this is this works a little better, but it's like with Phantom Menace, okay. they build the same thing between the battle between the Gungans and the droids, you know, intercut with Anakin and the stupid, the silly Naboo fighter, Starfighter. Now this you know, is fun I'm I really just I don't want to revisit that, but the way it's you know with Duel of Fates and the way it's all happening at once, George clearly likes building all of his moments at once, and he does it really well here. Yippee! Oh God.
1: Luke, watching everything unfold, cannot take any more. He calls his lightsaber and moves to attack the Emperor. Vader blocks it, blocks the hit. On the ground, Chewie gains controls of an AT-ST and brings it to the Imperial base. Han uses the walker comm link to trick Imperials to open the door. Luke almost immediately regrets engaging in the duel. He tries to hide from his father. Luke tries to... Uh, vader tries to draw luke out by evoking his friends
0: it is the only way you can save your friends yes your thoughts betray you your feelings for them are strong especially for sister so you have a twin sister your feelings have now betrayed her too. Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me. Now his failure is complete. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. Ah! No When
2: does Luke have when does Luke have the higher <laughs> when does Luke have the higher ground? That's earlier in the... At some point they switch it. Yeah, and he does, and he throws the
1: uh, the silver. that was earlier, right? Yeah, that's because I think it's
2: I think it's it's funny that uh you know Vader keeps losing the higher the higher ground.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but I also want to make a note. This is just another great um, way to film the way in which they get Luke's face half in shadow, half in light is perfect because that's I'm his entire emotional state. Going here. to
2: harp on this scene later for sure.
1: Okay. But you can uh,
2: say what you want about it now if you want
1: No, we'll talk about it later. All right, uh, where am I? Matt and Luke attacks. Par- Paralleled to Best and Luke cuts off Vader's hand. The Emperor exuberantly tells Luke to kill Vader and take your father's place at my side. Luke looks at his cybernetic hand and then back at Vader's. In a moment of calm, Luke throws his lightsaber to the side. Han has planted bombs all over the Imperial base and lets them blow. Lando sees this and leads his team into the Death Star. The Emperor shoots lightning at Luke. In pain, Luke shouts for help from his father. Vader looks at his master, then to his son. Coming back to the light, Vader lifts the Emperor and throws him down the shaft. So,
2: Wait, we're going to talk of... about this now?
1: We can talk about two things now. Um, one, let's talk about the George Lucas edited, and how horrible this one is. This is <laughs> out of every George Lucas edit. I'm gonna take the words out of my mouth. This, this is, is the my worst least one. favorite. This is like the worst thing that they that he. I did. agree. It's. I think it's. I think that it's
2: worse than adding the what's the Jedi rocks. What's the silly song they added yeah. with the CGI character? This is worse because, and I don't want to take the words from you, but it basically undercuts the emotion of the original scene.
1: It does completely with, with the helmet on. Just the way in which it was shot. You knew <clears throat> underneath that helmet what was going on in Vader's mind. You and it's a fucking mask. And you you no facial expression, but you know. The way you the were music swells, undercutting it, the
2: way they zoom in on his helmet, the way the silence of everything happens. Yes, continue. Yeah,
1: and then they undercut it by having Vader go, No. No. I understand what George is trying to do he's trying to link it to the prequels but you don't need to link it to the prequels because it's it's just like one no one liked that from the prequels and two Vader is a different person now this is 20 something years later he couldn't be different and not say the exact same
2: line i don't know if he just thinks it's more dramatic i know it's like the prequels but it's also just i don't know if he thinks like oh it's not dramatic enough but like i can't understand how george could watch that scene this he's clearly he's clearly got a different mind than everyone else because he's clearly got his own intentions but how he can watch that scene and not understand the emotional crux of how it plays out better in the older in the original version
1: yeah it makes no sense
2: I really it, bo- it it bothers me. <laughs> and
1: we could talk about the other things that bother us. Uh, we really don't have to go into this now. We can go into it in episode 9, but the emperor surviving we'll save it. This just also undercuts everything we've watched.
2: A, a lot is undercut, and that's why I have a lot of opinions about where I stand with this whole franchise, and we'll get to that obviously when as we continue, but yeah.
1: Uh the Death Star is in panic mode as everyone tries to evacuate. Luke carries his dying father to an Imperial shuttle. On the ramp, Vader insists on seeing Luke with his own eyes. The mask comes off and shows a white man. Yeah, sorry. The mask another, comes off and shows a scarred up, pale man filled with regret. Another Shaw.
2: Um another Kevin Smith moment is his dialogue the dialogue in chasing Amy. I don't know if you remember. Um He's the guy he goes, I don't know his name. Uh, he does the whole speech. And he's like, uh, he's like Darth Vader was the greatest villain in the galaxy because he's a you know, he's one of the brothers. He's in this big ex suit, you know, he's got James Earl Jones' voice. And then at the end, you know, at the end of this trilogy, they reveal the helmets. They take off the helmet to reveal a crusty old white man. What does that say about society? This guy goes in this whole rant, but that's more Kevin Kevin Smith obviously has a lot Some of affection feelings for about Star Wars. This
1: my feeling now poor sebastian shaw you really got the shaft here you're not even like you're in this movie for like a minute now and they cut you out of the force ghost sequence so yeah yeah you well, really, well. you're you're barely anakin like
2: yep yeah, we'll get there but
1: yeah anyway uh this we shouldn't be making jokes because the sequence is actually very very touching and uh, sometimes yeah. brings like man tears to my eyes
2: it's it's still i re, when i re rewatch it it still hits it still hits hard, and it's like, I don't know. It's more of a. Well, I'll save my thoughts for the end, but. Yeah.
1: Luke pleading says he has to save his father. <laughs> the Death Star blows. On the ground, Han tries to reassure Leia that Luke wasn't on it. Leia, tuning into the Force, already knows. Jealous but accepting, Han will step aside if she and Luke want to see one another. Leia laughs this off, revealing Luke is her brother. This is the scene that you wanted to talk about.
2: No, I just say I enjoy it. It's good. We'll talk about clunky dialogue, and this uh, kind of tiptoes around it. But I just, it's a good. I, I, I don't know. It's a good moment. But that's the one I was harping on before. Yeah. Um. Night has fallen. Alone, Luke builds a funeral pyre for his father. The celebration
1: was actually an add-on in post. They didn't have this this shot originally with Luke burning Vader's body. They actually shot that like in george lucas's backyard or something
2: did they not plan on shooting the scene or was it
1: i no it wasn't originally in anything they decided in after watching most of the movie in post that it would be a good idea to add it.
2: oh yeah i mean it's it's huge closure it's a big i don't know i guess you don't i mean i guess you don't need it but it hits it, it's very
1: it definitely it's... with the prequels in mind it definitely comes full circle to uh, qui-gon
2: a hundred percent um the celebration in bright tree village commences the rebels party with the ewoks who are using stormtrooper helmets as drums savage uh, uh, savages
1: they were those stormtroopers they straight, ate them
2: uh, these little cannibal well not cannibal they're not they're, cannibals
1: but they are vicious they're not as cute and cuddly as you think they'll
2: yeah, eat you they're like cats um lando uh jubilantly hugs han uh luke looks out yoda ben and anakin now played by hayden christensen um the heroes gather the music swells the end Um, the what you just said uh about it feeling like it comes full circle i will say there's something about the way that you know people can we've said countless times on this show about people you know people shooting on the prequels but then people you know appreciating them after the fact and with the prequels it just makes the ending of this of, of return of the jedi so much better so
1: yeah um so let's get into canon corner i really don't have a lot like i have very very little because um I figured we will get into the foundation of the New Republic next week, along with the Resistance, and then... Or we'll get into the First Order next week, one of those two. But obviously right. there's a big time gap between Episodes 6, six and 7, like 30 years. Uh, but we'll get into stuff next, a lot more stuff next week. <laughs> um, let's instead talk about Shuttle tiderium. How did the Rebels acquire it? The Rebels learned of a second Death Star, and when they did, they decided they needed to move quickly. Leia volunteered to use herself as a target uh, while the Rebels started gathering in a different part of the galaxy. So she was literally taking on Imperial heat in order to make sure that the Rebels can get strong enough to plan an assault on the Death Star. Um, But she went from planet to planet, gathering rebels and gaining attention from the Empire. Then, when the Empire swooped in to capture her, Leia sent all her rebel friends to the fleet, but this was only a diversion. The rebels came back out of hyperspace, surrounded a Death Star, and Leia got off the ship by stealing an Imperial shuttle. As soon as this mission was over, Luke found Leia and said, "Hey, I found, I found Han. He's at Jabba's palace." And they started to plan. Leia, with the help of Maz Kanata, fight well, find and fight Bosh, the bounty hunter. Uh, that Leia becomes in Episode Six. That was a real character. It was a real person. She killed. Bosch, the real Bosch, stole the outfit and became the character in real life, uh, going so far as pretending to kill Lando Calrissian, quote-unquote, which is how Lando got a very cushy job at Jabba's palace. Uh, and then after that, obviously we know what happens, but... What is kind of interesting and funny is it's not the last time Leia's, that uh, Leia has a problem with Jabba the Hutt. Years later, uh, when she is thinking about running for the chancellorship of the New Republic, the video of Jabba the Hutt, of her choking Jabba the Hutt, kind of like circles the underground of the star wars universe and it's kind of like a scandalous video and then on really yeah and then on top of that scandal it also leaks that she is darth vader's daughter which just plummets her ability to become the chancellor because that's just like a big (laughs) no-no you can't have that
2: that's interesting
1: yeah um but again, I don't want to go too deep into what's your
2: what's your source for that? For is that cop books, comic books, is books, it
1: books, It's actually multiple books. Um but the one about Leia that I highly recommend is Bloodline. That's between episode uh that's probably like seven or eight years after uh Return of the Jedi, I believe Ben now- Solo is born. Yeah. She goes on like a mission of some kind.
2: Well, I don't want to diverge too much from what your notes, but the only reason I ask is because I remember growing up and there were chapter books and I read a couple of them when I was in like elementary school about Han and Leia's kids. Yeah. And that was a uh, whole series. I don't. I know that's no longer canon, so I just I didn't want to harp on it too much, but I know that there is like some nixed history obviously a lot of next history now there's a lot of
1: next history but a lot of the books that came out between episode you know in the dark ages quote-unquote of star wars which you know is a real thing in the late 80s early 90s before star wars episode one was announced right there was like no prospects of another star wars movie coming out right ever again so people were like jonesing for anything star wars it it was like a dying commodity in reality by like 89 90 to like 93 before episode uh, one Mm -hmm. was announced but a lot of the books that were written and what subsisted the star wars empire were those books um but han and leia had a couple kids in there luke actually had a couple children from marriage marriage ja, marriage yeah um that's all legends now obviously none of it happened from right. what we know Luke never got married hell for all we know he died a virgin i don't know um
2: Will the world win? may never
1: know the world may never know <laughs> but that's all i got for canon corner so why that's don't fine. you tell us what the categories are
2: all right as always we're doing our awards uh In order, most iconic moment, clunkiest dialogue, the John Williams Award, best creature or droid design, the standout character, and best use of the Force. So, I don't know if you would like me to kick it off or if you want to take it.
1: Um, I could kick it off. Iconic moment. Um, For me, obviously, the entire throne room sequence is pretty iconic. But the one specific moment I will go with is when Luke throws his weapon away and goes, no, uh, you failed, your highness. I will never, you know, like I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. To me, that's like the most iconic moment in this entire movie, if not the entire sequel. Uh, sorry, the a whole original trilogy, because that is just like...
2: Well, it's a turning point
1: it's it's the, the ultimate turning point. point it's what everything has been culminating from luke's perspective what everything has been culminating to and it is a turning point for vader as well because vader has to now take in what his son is willing to do sure. and again what is anakin afraid of death <sniffs> losing the ones he loves so that that's what it is for me i don't know this... what, what about you
2: so I just wanted to make a quick shout out without harping on it, is that there are multiple moments in this movie I think that I could say are pretty iconic in terms of being, and what I was alluding to earlier about there's with the Rancor about scenes of there being lots of entertainment, um, like the Rancor obviously, and escaping the Sarlacc pit. Um, and, you there know- There are the a bat- lot of
1: iconic the, moments. The I battle
2: think. on Endor. There are moments that stand out. And I think with the reason that you and I had said last, we're, I think we, well, we've said it before, definitely, but is that- you know, as a child, it's easy to see why Return of the Jedi could be a favorite, you know, could be because it's so entertaining. Even as an adult, like watching these scenes, I'm still like enthralled by like the entire Jabba's palace sequence. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just like, it just, it's great entertainment. But at the end of the day, as far as most iconic moment, um, it's tricky because Vader throwing Emperor down the shaft growing up. I mean, I just reflecting mm. on that. It was always the most iconic moment to me. Obviously, What I was saying what bothered me is that just with the dialogue in there, it really does undercut the emotion. It undercuts the
1: entire sequence.
2: Because what what I did is I rewatched this and I watched on YouTube the clips, the original clips, and they just make such a difference because that would be the most iconic moment for me.
1: Yeah. Also, I don't want to jump all over anything, your answer, but do you know how they filmed that? No. They actually harnessed, uh, uh, obviously not Ian, but a stunt guy. And they were actually pulling him up, not down, and they just shot it from uh, underneath. So they're literally ripping this guy upward. And that's oh, how that's cool.
2: It. Uh, that's yeah. cool. No, I mean it really works. I mean it's a great moment that is otherwise underplayed by silly di- uh, you know, overdubbing. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I I think it's um, Luke removing Vader's helmet. <laughs> um that's i think because like your answer it's the moment where like luke throwing a lightsaber is his moment to decide like i'm going to choose death over you know whatever turning and that's the literal turning point but that moment we were saying earlier just cuts it it hits hard emotionally just the way they do the music the dialogue you hear the breathing and it's not just sad in the way it's done it's just like it's this moment where it's everything is coming to fruition, you know what I mean? Like uh, Luke has changed, Vader has changed. Um, the balance of the force, according to, you know, the legend, the Jedi legends has finally come to this moment. And that's why the bigger discussion at the end will be that the prequels help, help this movie tremendously. They help this whole, the original well, trilogy tremendously. The bigger,
1: bigger discussion is how, all the balance is just completely upended by the rise of skywalker but we'll, we'll which talk about that
2: later. i don't uh, you know i'm trying to focus on the good so but ultimately removing of the helmet it's big it's the first time you see vader's face and it's when he's dying and it's this sad poignant moment between father and son i just every single time it gets me so
1: <laughs> yeah so what is your clunkiest dialogue
2: um there are a lot of like kind of um naturally silly moments that feel very similar to a new hope where it's like, it's clunky, but it, you know, that's kind of the point Unlike empire where like the dialogue almost entirely works. I gotta go with the line after Luke's line where he says the force runs strong in my family. I love that bit says, you know, my father has it. I have it. My sister has it. And then there's the pause. And I don't know why every time Carrie Fisher's and it's not her fault, but like the delivery of, I know somehow I've always known. I'm like, really? Like I'm still always a little like, I don't know if it's just because we have that, you know, you alluded to Game of Thrones, like we have that hit that weird history between them. But I just, it never, it's, it's, it, the moment is it underplays a little bit more than I feel it should. So that dialogue, the somehow I've always known, and I'm like, oh, no, that's
1: good. Mm. Mm, did you know? So you anyway,
2: know? tell the folks at home yours. Um,
1: I'm gonna go with Obi Wan, just his entire his entire everything in this movie the the explanation his entire explanation in this movie his whatever i because it is played by alec guinness who is a very like i don't know he
2: theatrical
1: he's very theatrical he can exude he can get these lines out and make them sound very smooth but in the hands of any other director you're just going like the not direct in the hands of any other actor your your bullshit alarm is just going off the charts like you're lucky you had alec guinness to play this role because some of what he's saying is like a little crazy no see it's from a certain point of view from a certain point of view like uh... oh come on man yeah so (laughs) <laughs> You're really like burying the lead here man just like yeah how about the fact yeah I I'm the one who I'm the reason why your father's in that mechanical suit um
2: chopped off his arms chopped off his off legs
1: his arms, Uh you know did a set him on fire
2: things. left him for dead
1: uh so John Williams award this movie has a lot of great music um, uh,
2: yeah definitely does
1: there's obviously the dirt
2: der- der- bump
1: der- well yeah
2: the sarlacc pit uh there's obviously the
1: end battle the but i'm gonna go with um the song that plays while vader is having his moment with luke at the end it's the imperial march but like at a softer key and it just like gives me chills every time so that's good uh, the, um, actually i want to mention one more the emperor's theme is also just like phenomenal
2: oh yeah it's very mm-hmm. moody it's very ominous dark and ominous
1: yeah because it's the imperial um, march again but it's from it's on, like, it's um, lower
2: that's all that's all john williams his brilliance he's just yeah. doing the same key but he's just doing it in a different like tone he's like it's re- that's really good music music work because you yeah. know you're still feeling the same music but you're like it's just it's it's a totally different approach to it. Yeah. Um, I want to take this time to give some quick shout-outs. Um, again, I watched some scenes, some to compare the original ni- uh, nineteen eighty three song that plays during in Jabba's palace um, <laughs> with the with the puppet woman with the lips. And I wish they just kept it's it. Nice noodle. It fits the mood so much more. It's just strange and eerie, and it just it makes me. I'm not gonna harp on Jedi rocks. It's a ridiculous. It's a r- absolutely ridiculous. St- thing to
1: me it doesn't i mean do i like the change no but is it like the worst thing no no it's it's
2: bothersome it's bothersome but like also like i don't know like Jabba's palace the whole sequence is just to get from plot point a to plot point b so it's like it almost doesn't really matter but that original song i want to give the shout out to um and even all the music in the background of Jabba's palace it's almost like an antithesis to the cantina it's like the. it's supposed to be like uplifting and fun but it's like a little strange and yeah. offbeat um another one the victory celebration at the end they changed that music i actually prefer the newer the music that they leave in
1: i'm glad you I said know- that because i completely agree i know that the internet will kill us for not liking Yubnub, but like this new music is like
2: like here's the thing this and I don't want to give, make this a discussion on George's edits, but like there is a split, I believe, between nostalgic Star Wars fans and Star Wars fans who are, you know, willing to embrace more. Because there are the more time goes on, the more the cult fans exist, as you could call them, as the people who are or the purists who are demanding that they re-release the original cut, the exactly the way it, the original cuts of these movies exactly the the way that they. They were filmed, and I want that. I, I, Disney Plus should just put out multiple versions and just release They're them. They're never going to do that. Ever. No, of course. But, like, I, I, I get where the cult fans are coming from. But, like, at the end of the day, like, George's changes aren't all terrible. I don't like no. Jedi Rocks. I don't like the Vader No. We've talked about it. At the end of the day, it's not that bad. But I watched the celebration at the end, and by having the original Sebastian – Sebastian Stan Sebastian Shaw. Sh- Sebastian Shaw. <laughs> no, no, no going away not Marvel yet so so be- by having a Sebastian Shaw in and by having the original yep nope, was it nope nope yep nope <laughs> like sure like I get why people are like this is how it was supposed to be it's better but like as far as Star Wars as a collective like it works better with I guess with the new song and even hating Christensen's ghost, but that's that's just my opinion.
1: Forgetting I know a lot of Christensen's ghost, but the song Yubnub sounds like the end of a trilogy. The victory celebration sounds like the end of a saga. You know, like that's the best way I can put it. Yub Nub just that's has like a perfect. Very that's 80s, I'm not even gonna harp. That's the perfect. It has just like this 80s it's... cheese to it, where cool, but it doesn't uh, you know. have the prestige that like the victory song has i it's agree so I that's feel.
2: that's not my pick but i did want to make that shout out because i actually do real i think if the new music hits better but the the bit i'm gonna i am getting i could not find the name of it but when luke and vader are dueling and there's that moment where the music swells and luke basically starts thrashing at vader and the music builds and builds and builds and it's that it's that moment it's that moment where the music is kind of like it's a little bit of the emperor's theme where you hear like a little bit of choir in there but it's like the music getting it's the music getting bigger and bigger. And then when Luke starts kind of like hacking away at Vader and you can see his anger. And that's why I was saying, we'll harp on that scene later. I mean, I love that scene and the way they show the shadows and the light. And we were talking about that with the colors. Um, but that the way the music hits at that part where, where Luke's just angry and he's just hitting, I just, it, I love it so much. So
1: yeah, the album is actually interesting because that's all like all three plot points are like truncated into battle of endor one yes two and three on the it's album. like an
2: old, it's like an 11 12 minute bit
1: yeah it's longer than that because there are three parts to it so oh, okay only like battle of endor 2 which i think includes that sequence has it. Mm-hmm. uh that's like 11 minutes in of itself but um
2: yeah i love it
1: that's a good pick uh best creature design go for it Although um, I feel like there's only one real answer.
2: It's the Jabba puppet. We talked about it. Yeah. It's so it's the you can't it, say it anymore. It's so impressive.
1: The Jabba is just like so good. Like it's perfect. Yeah. Like we already discussed it, but nothing more can be said. It's the like, tongue, the
2: tail, the eyes, it's amazing. It's perfectly amazing disgusting. puppet. It's
1: disgusting. It works. It looks touchable and tangible. Um he
2: looks gross. It's like you can feel him. It's it's really something. Yeah.
1: Um standout character this one is tough because i feel like there are multiple standout characters obviously the emperor this is his first movie whether you like his character like i do or you don't like i've seen a lot of people who are like this guy's a dick like and he is because he's just like this overconfident like asshole in this movie but it works so well um vader obviously is bigger in this movie than he is in any other but i'm gonna go with luke simply because his story for me is the most interesting in this entire movie and the sequel trilogy particularly the last jedi have made me care more about luke than i did in the past in reality like to me everything comes down to luke in this movie
2: it's ultimately i mean yes you can make the argument that the saga is anakin's story but this is really this really harps on luke
1: yeah exactly this is luke's journey and as i've been pressing the past couple weeks luke is a different kind of jedi than most and to see that culminate in this movie and kind of pick the third option that you don't really even know exists is makes him uh, the reason why he should pick you know be the winner of this category Literally. um
2: so i my 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 real answer is i'm kind of like completely in agreement with you that this is really luke is the central standout character um but i actually wanted to harp back on leia for a moment i i because like we, we were saying, it's almost like they wrote a different character, but I yeah. I really, I'm thinking about this franchise collectively and I think that aside from, because in, in A New Hope and Empire, she's, you know, she helps the plot, but there are so many moments that they give her, and like, you made a great point, like, she helps merely move the plot forward in this, in Return of the Jedi. She really is just an exposition character, but she frees Han from the Carbonite, she kills Jabba the Hutt, and she you know, helps, uh, you know, but the fight on Endor, and like, she doesn't really have any, you know, grandiose ending, but I think more than almost any other movie she's been in, I think Leia has the most kind of like, significant moments, and so I think that that's like, um, uh, I don't know, I mean, I mean, she sported, you know, being, doing us this, this, the metal slave bikini, you know what I mean, and just kind of like, this idea of overpowering whatever this, sexualized image of her being whatever is and I I don't know I just feel like she's got a lot of like kind of badass tough girl kind of moments that like as we said like you know Star Wars wasn't harping on at the time
1: I know I want to go back for two seconds and just like kind of amend what I said or clarify what I said earlier just because I feel like I have to yeah yeah I love Leia's character I do she oh uh, yeah I'm not suggesting you yeah yeah and what she she does a lot in this movie like you just mentioned killing Jabba is no small feat i'm sure many have tried in the past to do that she she's awesome i love it i just feel like something is off in this movie to me something is off and we really don't get leia back until like episode eight yeah because she's We'll, we'll get to it next week, but... It
2: almost feels out of character. We'll week. She almost feels out of character in this, but I mean, I think what they do with her, even though, like I said, like she's really designed for exposition a lot in this, I just think she's like she's got great, great enough moments that I feel like um, she just uh, deserves a shout-out, I guess, because I don't see where else she would fit in in my standout characters. I guess it's an overall looking at where she fits in, and this would be it
1: Yeah. in the whole franchise. Um, so let's go on to Best Use of the Force. Is it your
2: turn or my turn? I don't remember. Um, no. Nah. Oh, sorry. You started the last standout character, yeah, yeah. so... so you go. So best use of the Force. Um, I guess this was a little tricky because there's a lot of different moments where the Force is used. Um, I like the ideas. We alluded to the Emperor feeling everything from his chair. He's kind of just like, he doesn't move and he kind of senses everything around him. Um, and what you were saying earlier about the out-of-context dialogue... But the Emperor Luke...
1: being alive in of itself is a good use of the Force in this It's movie. a great
2: use of the Force. But ultimately, I'm going to go with Luke and Vader's kind of uh, connection. They're kind of, like I'm, you know, not harping on the dialogue like, you know, this is uh, being inside of, you know, like the man inside me, you know, as a... <laughs> however Tobias Fugge would write. But um, I just think that Luke and Vader constantly sensing each other is very... I don't know. It's, it's got a strong sense of kind of like that the force is bigger. Like obviously these last few weeks we've been, I've been harping. We both have harped on like the force being more than just moving stuff with your mind and just, you know, more than Jedi mind tricks. But so much of it is about this unseen presence. And I think that that's by Luke and Vader kinds of of, like they're tiptoeing around it. Like, you know, it's building, they both know when each other are around. So it's like, to have this connection without them even being in the same room or on the same planet is like very, it's big and it's purposeful here. So um, ultimately that's my pick.
1: Yeah, that's good. And I have a question. I was actually thinking about this the other day. Do you think in episode five, you know, there's the sequence when Vader and Luke connect after their duel, Uh, Luke is on the Falcon and is like, father, you know like he wakes up given the rules of like the sequel trilogy do you think that they were force projecting to one another or do you think that they were just communicating to one another through their heads
2: oh when it connect when it, when you see the shot of their faces
1: yeah because
2: oh that's I interesting feel like
1: the way in which force connections are shot in episodes eight and nine so this is not a last jedi pro last jedi thing because it's shot almost exactly the same way in episode nine the way in which you move closer into a jedi and it is meant and not and not just a jedi but kylo ren too um the way in which the camera moves is very specific and it moves that way in episode five so it just makes me think that maybe they were projecting to one another in that movie
2: interesting i i really like that theory because i the way i always saw it because i've no, i noticed that now that you mentioned it that those shots are similar i always i i evaluate that as it them just sequel trilogy harping back to a, it just making a call but like a callback in the way that it was shot and they turned that into a plot development and i don't think that they actually foresaw i don't think george or anyone foresaw well, ahead to- i don't think
1: george foresaw that don't make don't misconstrue i'm just thinking like in terms in of retrospect, like respect now that we have force projections and force connections how does it affect stuff, how does this project <laughs> how does this alter the past
2: that's the great that great point because it's something that seems like it's so small or insignificant but i like that idea a lot i like the idea that they're almost force projecting without even realizing it without a well i guess i don't know like because they're both so I don't know both so connected and they're both so powerful in their own way. So it's not a, it's not a rage or a stretch. I don't know if you read that somewhere. If you just No, came... I
1: didn't. I was just thinking about it the other day. Um, That's good... possible. I don't know. That's good. Anyway, I like that. For my best use of the force. Um, I guess there is the macro and the micro. The macro would be the force finally getting balance, even though in reality, because of episode nine, there was no balance. But, um, but we don't need to talk about that. But I guess in terms of best use of the Force, I will say Force Lightning, simply because this is the first time we see Force Lightning in you know, the order in the, or- the in movies the order of the come movie out, yeah. the way in which they were released. So that's some pretty badass stuff, just being able to shoot lightning at something. Pretty sweet. So let's move into final thoughts. Josh, why don't you start?
2: Um, so I'm gonna kick this off with Dave Filoni's quote, which we had before we even started this whole show. Um, he he, Dave Filoni, uh, just harping on Star Wars as a whole. Um, as we have discussed, Dave Filoni he understands what Star Wars is way more than many other people, including the people at Disney. But we're whatever. Um, But Dave Filoni was harping specifically on Return of the Jedi. So I had this note mentioned that on Vader saving his son, that he had to become the father he never had. I think that ultimately what makes Return of the Jedi for all its flaws or all of its silly inconsistencies, as any fan can say, people can complain about the childlike nature of the Ewoks or the very, childish way that a lot of the entertainment plays out because like I said, it almost caters to children. But I think a lot of that is not only excused as an adult because you're just watching entertainment for being entertainment, but the themes between father and son, the themes between the force and the themes that began in Phantom Menace make this such a notable movie. And I think that we are very privileged to have grown up the way we did seeing having Star Wars the way it was, and then like getting a little older and having the prequel trilogy when we did, because Ultimately the prequel trilogy makes the original trilogy even better, which is like a lot considering this is already one of the most notable, the original trilogy is already one of the most notable trilogies in all of films. So it's kind of like, it's fascinating to see how, you know, like at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you're like, appreciate it because it connects to a new hope, the binary uh, twin sons, you know? in the same way that when you get to the end of Return of the Jedi and you get to that final celebration, like, yeah, it's like, okay, it's an Ewok festival and people com- have complained for years now that, oh, it's a it's a t- a teddy bear party and that's how it ends. And like I was alluding to earlier, the uh, lighthearted happiness of Return of the Jedi, which is seen can be seen as a flaw, is what makes all the darkness and gray area of The Last Jedi even better. But we'll get to there when we get there. Overall, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a great ending that I think is...
1: Uh, no i just wanted to kind of jump on i feel like this movie does have a great ending but there's no avoiding the fact that this movie it it kind of meshes two of our awards you know because it has a lot of iconic moments like this movie is iconic but it also it is also very clunky
2: it's extreme yeah absolutely that's a great way of putting it
1: it's very very clunky there's the co there's practically no cohesive nature to this movie uh, until the very end it's kind of like rogue one in that regard where like the beginning is just so jumbled and then you get to the end and everything clicks but the whole lead-in you know you're starting on tatooine and fighting java and then you're like going to a completely different thing to a completely different thing to a completely different thing. And then it all kind of meshes, but it's kind of just like all over the place in the beginning and not everything really works that well. Um, But again, it has some of the more iconic moments in any of the star Wars movies, obviously the Luke fighting Vader, the emperor Yoda's death, uh, luke and han which uh not well not luke and han uh luke and leia which has become a bigger twist to people than vader and uh, vader being luke's father um so i don't know it's it's
2: hard because it's it's easily like the weakest of the original trilogy in terms of of not hitting bigger with their themes or their emotions like don't get me wrong the end is emotional but they put all their, their eggs into that well, last the ba- into the basket it's,
1: it's the weakest in terms of story but it's probably the most fun
2: oh of course
1: like there, at no point while there are a lot of plot problems it is a lot of fun you like you're on this ride and you're it's just a, it's like,
2: incredibly entertaining from beginning to finish
1: Yeah, you're just like on a non-stop ride and you're never not having fun Maybe when the Emperor is shooting Luke with lightning. That's not always fun. But And you see his teeth literally lighting up some savage stuff. But uh, I mean,
2: yeah, it works. It's completely um, it, it works in being a, a stimulating movie, like visually and in terms of like the action and the entertainment. and. The...
1: But what I'm curious about and something you kind of made a note of is how would I have felt watching this in theaters in 1983 because how do i say this a lot of what i just said i'm gonna have to say in the in rise of skywalker rise of skywalker is not a good movie but it keeps moving it's overall like entertaining you know but that's part of the problem it puts entertainment over plot this movie has a, a better balance but you know, my my overall point is: Would I have walked away from this movie in 1983 and gone, "What the fuck did I just watch"?
2: It's very interesting the idea that Star Wars has been. This is overall a giant discussion that can be placed. I mean, really, toward the end of our whole show, but but that basically, like, Star Wars has been hailed as one of these like critically successful like ser- like franchises, and yet like. You look at so many of these inconsistencies in terms, like I can't, I can only imagine being Roger Ebert or being like a a snobby film critic, or being just who we are right now as as adults who like have many opinions about movies. And then watching just with the knowledge of these first two movies, of watching this movie by itself, like I can imagine, like it's hard to imagine putting yourself in those shoes, but like I can imagine. Love
1: the Star Wars movies, love them. He actually got into arguments with other film critics about how good star wars is
2: that's great i mean so, i what my point is like i could, like i just use ebert because he's the most he's yeah, been the most he's the most well-known like, film critic but and that's that's great that ebert loves loves star love star wars you know he's but, the one who wrote
1: i, I think i mentioned him in, in episode one he's the one who wrote the like praising review of episode one saying like you guys have all forgotten how wonder of movies works because you're spoiled. He literally yeah. called out the film community and was like, "You guys are spoiled." Like And
2: that, and that's the point I'm kind of alluding to right now because what happens is is people put their film criticism hats on and they they become these like pristine kind of like and and you know you and i are, are guilty of it in our own way of just being like oh yeah well this is crap because like whatever like we, we feel like we
1: started a podcast
2: so. i mean i mean literally so it's kind of so like but my my point is it's like where do you draw the line and i definitely think there's a line when you look at a new hope empire strikes back and return of the jedi in that order because you see like good great and then like okay it's not really it's still good but like i don't even know what i i don't I don't know what we what we're doing anymore. Like I don't really know what the point of this was. Like I guess we're just telling what a simple story, and then of course you got the prequels and now the sequels to kind of just expand on this. And now it's kind of like this. It's the I don't know. I feel like it's all I the know opinions. That, like
1: I'm a dark person in general, but the ending of uh, the pre like Revenge of the Sith to me is like such a more satisfying it's satisfying and i completely agree this one i mean maybe not satisfying because <laughs> this movie at the end of this movie i'm kind of satisfied like my hero got ev- heroes got everything that they wanted but in the end is that really all right nothing was really you know should have they all have walked away right. i have the same thought after lord of the rings too it's like mm-hmm
2: right it's nice that you're
1: having a reunion but should this many of you really have survived this deadly of a war
2: right and that's the thing is it's kind of like where's that balance of drama in a whatever a dark adult way that you know that people like you or myself are drawn to versus giving like the hollywood endings like i can't help but like compare to rise of skywalker like like you in the sense of saying like well what's what's really the point? What were you really trying to say? Because start with the original trilogy goes along a certain way. And then the prequel trilogy helps make that even better. And then the sequel trilogy undoes all that. And so it's kind of like, I don't know, like it's hard to just pick out feelings about these movies individually, especially when they're supposed to tie things up. And at the time, Return of the Jedi is supposed to tie up everything, well, you know?
1: I don't know, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but personally, I like looking at movies individually obviously i can look at the macro too but from that's why i'm talking about this movie's flaws because i feel like as a movie in of itself it is very incohesive and all over the place in moments
2: yes i completely agree
1: overall franchise it plays its part and it does what it needed to do and it's but from a you know perspective of an individual movie it's not the greatest it's
2: not unlike how uh, it's not unlike marvel in that sense i don't want to open up a whole can of worms but that's like my thoughts on a
1: whole can
2: of worms But, but that's but that's exactly how i feel about like infinity war and endgame i think that they're fine movies individually but the only reason they work for me is because they complete a story it's like it's putting a cap on other stories it's putting an end you know, it's putting it. It's saying, okay, you've been waiting for this, and here's the payoff. Now, do I think that something like the way Avengers tied up their stories? Do I think they did that a little better than the way Return of the Jedi did? Yeah, I do. But like also, when you look at a movie individually versus what it does as a whole, there are differences, and I think that's an important piece to take away in any films and any trilogies. And it's the reason why movies like Return of the King or Return of the Jedi or Avengers End Game are they're good endings but are they better than their counterparts and mostly it's it's no and that's yeah. why this is the beginning of a trend where the trilogies i mean i don't know when oh no godfather was uh, after this um trilogies having you know number 3 being the one that's the worst of the three it's like it's very hard to wrap up a story i guess and still yeah. be individually a, a good movie
1: it is hard to wrap up a story i i mean occasionally you'll get a third movie that's the best like arguably toy story but it's very 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 rare Um, it almost never happens yeah so
2: but i I think it works
1: i think this is a good place to end our conversation i mean yeah because
2: we could do this forever i mean it's really (laughs) yeah we could we easily could and we shouldn't we have people places to be
1: tell me josh do you have a pick of the week
2: um, I do, and I'll just keep it really simple because I could have gone with anything I said, Return to King or whatever. But I'm going to go with um, – you mentioned uh, Indiana Jones a couple weeks ago for when we did our beginning. I'm going to talk about the, just the Last Crusade. Think, in terms uh, of
1: that was my pick of the week ones.
2: Um, yeah, it's it pretty good. I mean, not to harp on it. It's just uh, in terms of being a good part three, being a good trilogy capper. Um, obviously, Indiana Jones has not expanded as much as Star Wars although a new indiana jones movie was announced the other day as of this recording
1: well it's it's been announced for years now it's just like it looks like it's actually moving forward it's actually yeah oh my god um
2: but as far as last crusade in terms of taking the character of indiana jones and you know bringing in his father and then kind of expanding on the characters and stories and like kind of bringing not that it harps on too many themes from raiders or temple of doom but like last crusade is a very good ending to indiana jones in general it's a very
1: good part it's three. arguably another one where the third could be argued as the best
2: I yeah absolutely prefer
1: raiders like same the slightest of margins but it's still s- like really up there that's it's so
2: good it's very difficult and i guess that's my point is return the jedi i think is the weakest of the three for me for you know a lot of people in the terms of the original trilogy but it's still a satisfying ending and last crusade is just it's a very satisfying end to it to just that specific those three movies so i can't talk about it enough and like you said we've talked about it before so yeah Uh, Um, tell the folks at home your pick of the week
1: For mine, I'm going to go with Back to the Future Part 3, simply because it's the only one I haven't spoken about yet. And I feel like it kind of matches this movie where overall solid movie, overall solid, but it has moments where it just kind of like dives. uh, You know, it's kind of a cyclical cycle. That's a great answer. But it's like... It's got a good ending. Yeah, solid ending. Yeah. Hopefully that does not get a fourth movie like the, you know, well like the Star now, Wars movies.
2: Now that it's been enough time, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and do a uh, whatever a sequel reboot the way they did with the kind of the Force Awakens, where
1: Zemeckis holds the rights to the movies and he says he will never ever allow anything to happen to them. It's fine by me. So, you know, we don't have to worry now. But after Zemeckis dies in like and like to... 50 years. You weren't gonna end up having another Back to the Future. Well,
2: it's in it's in I hate to say that it's inevitable, but when you look at Star Wars, you look at Indiana Jones, and you look at giant, um, you know, Lucas or Spielberg related franchises. Be them in the director's chair, the producer's chair. These kind of if it's a franchise and it makes money, people are just gonna keep doing it. So, but we can talk about we can talk about that during the Rise of Skywalker episode.
1: Yeah. So, uh, where can the good people find you if they want on the interwebs?
2: Uh, people can find me on the interwebs. Uh, at uh, Letterboxd. It's under beach, B-E-E-S-H, exactly as it sounds.
1: Cool. And you and... can find me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart and Letterboxd, too. Same, same thing, Mr. Filmart. And you can follow the podcast at Whose Filmography. We will catch you next week where we jump thirty years into the future. To another desert planet because we hadn't done that before, never, you know. Never. Like, what a brilliant idea! Brilliant. Yeah. For almost, a desert planet uh, in a galaxy far, far away. Who would almost have
2: thought? With like an old mentor who teaches, shows them the way, and then you know, there's a helmet, a bad guy in a helmet, and a bit, you know, planet that kills other planets. And
1: who would have thought? Who Such would have thought? Original ideas. Oh my
2: god! We're gonna talk all about it.
1: So we will see you next week.
2: All right. Take it easy, folks.